0: Hey there, since we're looking at Mark 11, I thought I would come down to this iconic location and this iconic view of Washington, D.C. Jesus, in his triumphal entry in Mark 11, verses 1 through 11, he enters uh, Jerusalem through an iconic direction as well. You know, if you look at most photographs today of Jerusalem, they're taken from the Mount of Olives. You see the uh, Dome of the Rock on top of the Temple Mount. That is a Raise a place that allows you to look down onto the city of Jerusalem, not unlike this location, right? The Iwo Jima Memorial, looking over the city of Washington D.C. So, let's look at Mark chapter eleven, verses one through eleven, and I'm just going to walk through each of these verses. And um, you know, it, it is kind of interesting to think about Jesus, the King of Kings, entering His city in a triumphal, celebratory way. How many people ha- that have been incredibly powerful have been in this city? Obviously, all of our presidents. We just inaugurated a new president. Lots of pomp and all of the fanfare, even in a COVID-minimized uh, year. Uh, foreign dignitaries that have come into this city with all of their power and representation, the, the colors and the flags and the military, all those things together representing the power uh, that's that's a part of who the city is, the city, the capital of our country that's built on we the people, the power and the, the might of all the United States of America. Uh, so let's just walk through the passage. Verse one, it says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And first of all, just let's just note here, as was already mentioned, he's coming via the Mount of Olives. We're going to be referencing the ancient prophet Zechariah, who was about 550, 600 years before this, multiple references in this passage uh, to prophecies from Zechariah about Jesus, the Messiah. And it says in Zechariah that the the promised Messiah, the King, is gonna enter via um, the Mount of Olives. And and also, I think it's important to note that uh, Bethpage is traditionally considered the place were Jews that were coming to the city for the Passover, which is what's happening right now. All these people are entering the city, uh, made, made their, their travel from the other parts of Israel to the city for the Passover annual festival. They got their Passover lamb in Bethpage. Um, and so here we have the ultimate lamb of God entering via Bethpage. And then going on, it says, and and. says, uh, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied. Uh, And and I'll just note there that it's like, it's kind of interesting that it's like, okay, how does this part work exactly? And it's possible that Jesus had made arrangements before. It's also possible that he did his God thing and kind of made this all happen and come together. There's some important notes. He says, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied in which no one has ever sat. That's an important detail. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord. So this is a reference to his his, uh, kingship, his godship. The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away. And found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those staying there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? You know, honest question. And they told them that Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. So it's kind of like a saddle. And he sat on it. Now, this is our first, this is the big reference that I was mentioning about Zechariah. If you turn back, not that far, but we're going about 550 years back in time to a prophecy that the prophet Zechariah made. It says in verse nine of uh, chapter nine, Zechariah says, rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout aloud. O oh, daughter of Jerusalem." So he's, this is poetic language talking about these, the people of God. Why is that? He says, behold, your king is coming to you. Now the Jewish people knew that this was a reference to the Messiah, the promised Messiah. He's coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Wow, big deal humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey why does jesus enter into his city the capital city the the city that represents the city of god throughout scripture why does he enter in, in you know on a donkey's colt it says right here because he is humble. Because he is humble. That's just an amazing thing to think. You know, when you, if you imagine all the other times that that uh, military people like like this city here have entered, they don't they don't enter in some broken down old car. You know, like twenty five year old car that's barely running. I mean, they enter with all the power that's representative. Of their nation and i think it's important too that it's a cult that had never been sat on before you know president biden he rides around in a massive limo it's almost built like a tank he rides a marine one helicopter an air force one jet that carries him around those don't belong to him they belong to the united states of america right and they they he he has stepped into a place of power but he's standing on the shoulders of many that have gone before him to establish our country, but also we the people. That's what he's standing on. Here, Jesus is entering as a king, not on other things. And in fact, in Zechariah, the very next verse, he says in verse 10, I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim. That's one of the, that's another poetical way of saying uh, the people of God, my people, I'll cut off their chariot because chariots were a powerful military tool. And the war horse. Of Jerusalem, there is a contrast between this king and the typical kind of king entry into a city. You know, you might have noticed that throughout Scripture, war horses are are uh, you know looked down upon. You know, they aren't. Uh, God does not respect war horses, but war horses were a powerful technological advancement in their day. If you had the you know the ability to have lots and lots of horses. I mean, think about Genghis Khan. His success came from the ability to put his, to mount his armies on horseback for speed of travel, distance of travel, and then their power on the battlefield itself is is phenomenal. So when he's making critiques of chariots and war horses, that's like it's like saying, I, I, you know, I I don't care about your uh, aircraft carriers. I don't care about your nuclear arsenal, or the size of your military, or all the exploits. You know, here I am looking at the Iwo Jima Memorial, the exploits of your Marines, as impressive as those are. I am God, is what he's saying. And he's entering on a cult that no one else has sat on before, which is, I think, figurative of him saying that I am a new kind of king that doesn't sit on something else that somebody else has established. Like like Joe Biden didn't Create Marine One or Air Force One. That's the American people, and all of our nation is what that is. So when a new king arrives, he's riding on what others have established, but not this king. Back to the uh, Mark 11 verse 8, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. Remember, he's traveling the crowd. A lot of people now are following Jesus, but there also is a crowd that is coming uh, with him just there to sojourn to uh, Jerusalem for the festival. And this is kind of like a uh, red carpet treatment. They're giving him the red carpet treatment and entrance. Verse nine, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is a quote from Psalm 118, which is the last Psalm uh, that are of the um, of what's called the Halal portion of the Psalms. I think it's Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And the Jewish people would recite and sing these Psalms at their at their festivals every year. And they're Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalms that review all for them, review all that God has done for Israel, his salvation, and also looking forward to what he'll do for them in the future. If you're a Jew and you grew up celebrating Passover every year, you would have recognized this because you sing this as a part of the Passover ceremony. And so they are now crying out directly from the halal. So this is a clear reference. They are affirming not only the halal, but all that the Passover represents, all that the Messiah prophesied from the Old Testament represents, and now giving that all to Jesus. And it, it reminds me a little bit of you know last week, it started with just a blind beggar who cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is no longer being secretive. Jesus is now with a crowd and big time, they're all getting behind that idea. We're gonna go to Psalm 118 in just a minute. Verse 10, they continue to say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, they know about all the prophecies about the Messiah being a son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 11, and he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And this this little verse is not a throwaway verse. Remember, there are no throwaway verses in the Bible. Um, Mark Well, we know from other parts, other gospels that Jesus uh, goes to Jerusalem multiple times. Mark actually only records one time that Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Mark, as you've noticed, is a much briefer gospel that, um, you know, just gives kind of much more of a highlights version compared to other gospels. He is emphasizing the most important trip to Jerusalem. You know, we've had a couple of chapters of him journeying to Jerusalem. It's all building up and here is his arrival and he goes around and I think that what we can call this is his inspection. The king has arrived and he is going around to inspect and next week, when we look at what happens next, we start to see, what Jesus finds in his inspection? What is Jesus finding in, his, in our lives as, as, as he looks at our lives? That's a really important question maybe for us to ask. But let's go ahead and go back to Psalm 118 because I think that Psalm 118 is just phenomenally uh, important for us um, in, in just so many ways. And, and it just illuminates, I think, a lot of the triumphal in, in, entry. The first few verses are kind of like an introduction. Psalm 118, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then we have some call and response. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord The Lord answered me and he set me free. Why did Jesus come? You know, I think that a lot of these these Jewish people, like the the disciples in the chapters before, they they think, okay, our our king is here and he is going to save us from the oppressive Roman government. Did Jesus come to save them from a government? Did Jesus come to save us from any kind of government? I don't think he did. The Lord is on my side as my helper. And then just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip down to verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. I mean, this is just incredible talking about all the work that Jesus has done and is going to do in our lives and saving us from our real problem. And that's kind of where it goes next. Listen to this verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. And, and, and before I read on, just remember that the Jews recite this Psalm, they sing this Psalm, they have different ways of doing it. Every single Passover. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. What did Jesus say about himself? He said, I am the gate and my sheep enter through me. He says that he is the door. This is the gate. I thank you that you have answered me. You have become my salvation. And then get this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is gonna quote this later in Mark to remind the Jews that, guys, Zechariah 550, 600 years before. I don't know when this Psalm was written, but much farther before that, throughout the Old Testament, we have a theme over and over and over of God sending a prophet, God sending a leader, and initially the people or the leadership reject. And most often they do later repent and turn and follow the direction that God's getting them. And he's predicting that this ultimate Messiah is going to be rejected. Verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then here's the verse from the triumphal infantry that they're crying out. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. And that word save us, the Hebrew word there is what gave them Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made us, his light is to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. This is a reference to the to the altar that they had within the tabernacle and within the, uh, um, uh, the uh, temple, and they would take the sacrifice and actually tie it to the horns. Like They had these, these uh, p- points that came up from the corners of the altar, and they could, it's like a place where they could tie an animal to keep it from running away. Here comes the Lamb of God, the ultimate festal sacrifice. You are my God, I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You know, it's only less than a week later that this Messiah is hanging on a cross. And as our sacrifice, And I think that a lot of times we can think of, is Jesus coming to save my life from the government? Is Jesus coming to save my life from the problems that are my my life? Or is he coming to save me from my ultimate problem, which is my sin? I don't think that this people in this crowd fully got that yet. In The same way that that the disciples before hadn't got it. They understand he's the Messiah. They get the big picture but they're missing the detail that's embedded in the Old Testament, embedded in all the prophecies we looked at so far that show that Jesus is going to suffer and die to save them from the ultimate, which is their sin. I'm looking forward to discussing this passage, and I'm just loving going through Mark with you. I love you all, and we'll see you soon.